Welcome to Red Rocks Church. We are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. Do not sit down just yet. Stay standing for just a moment. And help me say hello to everybody watching this online. Let's show them some love, including my mom and my dad. Love you guys. Thank you for the prayers. And all of you are just as much a part of this church as anybody sitting in this room right now. I'm so glad that you're here at Red Rocks Church. Just make no mistake, we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we believe the local church is the hope of the world. That Jesus is our message and people are our mission. So what we do here matters. This ain't a normal weekend. We are building God's plan A for reaching the world. We are part of God's plan for reaching this amazing city that you and I call home, much like a city up on a hill that refuses to be hidden, a lighthouse to, to those far from God, if you will, as if to say, come home and experience, but for real, experience what God thinks about you. And my sermon title today is much less of a sermon title and way more of an announcement. And I say this announcement with humility and and us for them, spirit. This is it. The secular gospel is failing. The secular gospel is failing. And the time is now for the church to step up. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, you are so welcomed and wanted in our church. We pray boldly, you just go straight there. Go to the deepest, most hidden spaces and places of our hearts. Speak to us, comfort us, wake us up. Pour some, some cold water over our souls in the best way ever to walk out of here alive and refreshed and challenged. I pray right now for the 1,000 people who just moved here last week and drove out U-Hauls and got on planes and cars and you know their stories, you know their names. You know what they're looking for. I pray that you'd send your followers as agents of invitation, as agents of unconditional love to go and, and find people and love them and invite them, whether it's here or any other church in this city, just to experience you and find some family and discover purpose and receive salvation and walk in their callings in the here and now. So would you use us and send us? We love you so much and we pray this in the beautiful, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Hey, you may take a seat. Can we give it up for our worship team just for spoiling us? A quick announcement, really quick. It's a big week for Red Rocks Church because Red Rocks Worship just released uh, part two of an album, an EP called um, things of heaven, where we're going. Has anybody listened to it yet? My goodness, it is so good. And just so you know, these are songs written with our church in mind. Some of your faces, you don't even know it. You don't even know it, but these songs were written with your face in mind as anthems for our church to be proclaimed and shouted from the mountaintop and sung through the valley to, to sing when life's awesome and to still praise his name even when life sucks. What do you do? What do you, what do you sing? What do you say? What do you proclaim when you don't know what to proclaim? You sing these songs. Because much like when water evaporates and rises only to fall like rain, when your praise and worship go up, the things of heaven 
come down, not just in your life, but in your city. And so stream it, sing it, share it, because it's so good. The secular gospel is failing. Isn't that edgy? Just already, you're just, I see you're on the edge of your freshly sanitized chair right now, just so eager. Tell me more about this secular gospel that is failing. Okay. The final weekend of April in 2017, the fire Festival was supposed to take place in the Bahamas <laughs> on an island called Exuma that once upon a time belonged to Pablo Escobar. Billy McFarland and the legend Ja Rule planned and promoted what was supposed to be the greatest party ever thrown, and it was marketed to millennials with beautiful pictures like this. I mean, come on. Beautiful pictures of the island and luxury villas, five-star meals. It was supposed to be a music festival with bands like Blink-182 and Major Lazer. Celebrities and influencers shared this on Instagram, and it caught so much traction so fast that it sold out in 48 hours. That island <laughs> sold out in 48 hours. Day passes went for $1,500. The, the luxury villa weekend package went for $12,000, okay? Which shocks me because I spend a lot of time around millennials. I'm still stumped. How did they pay for this? I might know one way, mom and dad, just maybe. Um, the VIP experience, $250,000, okay? The promise was for the greatest party of all time. Come and live large. Bottomless drinks, the greatest food you've ever tasted, cooked by five-star chefs, celebrities, and supermodels, luxury villas, and live music. Well, not to, uh, not to slam Billy and Ja, first name basis, but it turns out they were either scam artists or just the world's worst planners of events in history. Um, McFarland is now in jail for wire fraud, and this entire story is told on a documentary on Netflix called Fire with a Y, if you wanna go watch it. Certainly, I would, never, um, I would never from this stage promote this kind of documentary, never. I'm just saying it's really good, and I watched it, okay? And it's, and it's so eerie, too. That's what you'll find out. It's so eerie. So as, these, as, the, as the young adults begin to show up at the island, they find out really quick that the hype does not match the reality. In other words, the brochure lied and the luxury villas were actually cheap relief tents and the five-star meals were cheese sandwiches and styrofoam cases. There's mattresses outside in the, in the rain just getting soaked and every band canceled. Not a single supermodel who endorsed it was there and hundreds of people were stranded for days with no water, no bathroom, it was truly the greatest party that never happened. And to me, it is the perfect metaphor of what the world is promising all of us. So have you ever found out the hype was lying? Or have you ever been let down by false advertising? Like maybe you, you get an Instagram ad that, that here's this new 
this new apartment, this new charming apartment. And so you go take a tour and you find out fast that charming's just a nice way of saying it's 375 square feet. And uh, clearly they use wide lens photography to make it look like your two person couch would actually fit in the living room. Or maybe you book the, uh, the luxury suite at the hotel with the, the indoor pool and the spa and the continental breakfast. How big does that breakfast sound? But then you show up and you realize, oh, luxury suite is now the title of every baseline hotel room ever. Like it starts at luxury suite, right? And there's, there's a, the spa is just a recently shocked and murky uh, hot tub with like yellow caution tape and radiating chlorine fumes that are burning your eyeballs. And the continental breakfast is 12 Fruit Loops in a plastic cup. The hype is seldom what it seems. The promise is rarely the reality. And nowhere, church, nowhere is that more true than with the secular gospel of Babylon. So follow me. Remember, this, this collection of talks called Babylon with the subtitle Strangers in a Strange Land is based out of the book of Daniel, okay? 587 years before Jesus, Babylon conquers Jerusalem, that's God's people. And God's people are torn away from their families and everything familiar, and they are relocated all throughout Babylon, the most dominant and seductive culture of their time. And the reason that matters to you 2,500 years later is because Babylon right now is all around you. I'm not calling America Babylon. I'm calling Babylon the air that we breathe, okay? It is a biblical theme that lives in every human heart and is roaming freely on planet Earth. Babylon was a city. Babylon is now a symbol. Does that make sense? Babylon was a locality. Babylon is now a, a mentality. How many more ways can I say it? I got two more. Babylon was a kingdom. Babylon is now a current, a very real current that you and me live and work in. Babylon was a place, but much like the fire festival, Babylon is now an empty promise full of a lot of hype. And it all began the moment Adam and Eve ate that fruit. You know the story I'm talking about back in Genesis 3, the very beginning. And it's not a magical apple that causes sin to enter the world. Have you ever thought about that? I used to think, oh, the tree was like magical. No, I don't think it was a, I think it was just a pretty tree that had fruit that was pleasing to the eye. The power was in a decision to choose something else over God. Essentially, the Babylon mentality or the Babylon motto is, I am going to do this my way. And from that moment on, something got set free. Something was released into our world. This invisible current that is as real as gravity that is called Babylon set into motion. Starting in Genesis 3 and then all throughout history, you just flip a few more pages to Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. Okay, this is verse four. Then they said, come and let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for 
ourselves. So once again, so we can do it this way. So we can find what we're looking for. So we can make a name for ourselves. The devil has always hedged his bets, his bets on our self-interest. Like he knows if I can just sort of promote them, oh, they will buy whatever I sell. A couple verses later, that is why it was called Babel, which is where we get the name Babylon, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. The word Babel means confusion. If you follow any way other than God's way, it will ultimately lead to confusion. The result will be eventually chaos. And I am, I'm so convinced that's what we're living in and experiencing right now. Just this low-grade sort of chronic hysteria and panic and anxiety and division and, and mass shootings. And it is confusion and chaos. I'll say it this way. The corporate fruit of centuries of saying we will do it our way. So from Eden in Genesis 3 all the way to the Tower of Babel, you keep going, all the way to Babylon, which is where the book of Daniel takes place, all the way to the, the city, the time, the culture that Jesus was born into. Keep going up and through history, all the way to the Enlightenment, two to 300 years ago, where essentially humanity, uh, for the first time on a massive scale, took its eyes off of the divine and said, God, forget you, we're gonna do it our way. And by the way, I'll call you if we have an emergency. And that's why, as long as there is prosperity on the planet or in a culture or a city, churches are empty until tragedy strikes. The largest weekend of church in the history of the United States is September 16, 2001. Isaiah 47 is prophetically titled the fall of Babylon in your Bible. It's speaking to the city. And eventually, it will also speak to the symbol. And verse eight says this. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure. Talking to a, a culture, a current. You lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. Oh, I am. And there is none besides me. I'll do anything to get giggles. Anything. I'm not an end times guy, okay? I mean, I, I know Jesus is coming back soon. And I live with a lot of urgency and passion because of it. Um, all, I, all I mean is... Um, I'm more of a, hey, let's, uh, let's stop arguing and let's just go uh, tell people about Jesus and build the church because he's coming back. But the one thing Jesus said about the final days that has hit me harder than anything else is when Jesus said, in the final days, people will be lovers of self. Now, here's what I'm not saying right now. I'm not saying uh, social media is just all the enemy and all bad. I have an Instagram. I have a Facebook, Okay. It's very effective, useful for a lot of stuff. It's fun. I, I'm just, I, I, was, I was like observing this week and thinking about it. It's kind of weird we live in a day and age where half the world, half the planet runs and promotes a page dedicated to themselves. I don't know, I just, whew. it's this Babylon motto, this Babylon mentality. God, what can you, I mean, if you even, this, this seeps into the church. Do not think we're immune to this. 
as a Christian, as a pastor, my goodness. No, like this seeps, how it plays out in the church is when all church becomes about, let me show up because I wanna see what God can do for me. And there's a lot of times you need that, man. He doesn't need us, we need him. We need him, we need him to, to do stuff for us. We have those seasons where it's just, God, I need you. All I'm, all I'm saying is if you, this is just an observation. If you do your own little YouTube analytic research study, you'll find the most popular sermons and worship songs are not the sermons and worship songs that are about God. They're the ones about, that are about what God can do for me. You know, and he wants to, guys. Hear my heart. I'm just, I'm just making an observation. The least popular sermons are the ones that are just about him. Babylon is a symbol and at its center is self. And the ultimate picture to me is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's our, our homeboy for today. We're gonna look at his life really quick. Daniel chapter four, 28 through 31. All of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. If it's all the same to you guys, I'm just gonna call him King Neb for my own sanity. I have to say it 20 times, okay? All this happened to King Neb. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, he said, imagine like you're by yourself and you say this out loud. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? But even as the words were on his lips, a voice from heaven came and said this, this is what I have decreed to you, King Neb. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And so then the story gets really crazy. Go read it this week. Daniel chapter four, it's, it's ridiculous. Daniel says, um, so basically King Neb loses everything. Daniel says if, if Neb's life and legacy were a tree, God just cut that thing down to the stump. But notice he left the stump. That's important. And on top of losing everything else, King Neb also loses his mind. So what does Babel mean? Confusion. And he goes, confusion and chaos take over, and he goes from, from, from the palace to the wilderness, living with literal animals for years, okay? And just a quick observation, I think, man, when you are so just drowning and submerged in I am living my life only for me. And if I feel it, that's true and I'm gonna do it. Enough time goes by and I believe that dehumanizes you because that's what animals do. Animals, whatever they feel, they just do. But humans, everybody, Christian, non-Christian, has the image of the invisible God alive in them, dominion over our feelings to choose to obey it or, or to not choose to live for us or to live for something bigger than ourselves. And I think King Neb, and I actually see, like, we, all, we all, you know, relate to Daniel. I look at King Nebuchadnezzar and I go, oh, okay. Because he's like one of the bad guys of the Bible. But do you know where he is today? He's in heaven right now. God left the stump, and I want you to see how this story ends because King Neb has spent seven years living with animals. The Bible says eating grass with oxen. 
and covered in, in dew, and his hair looks like Ethan's hair. And it says, this is a weird detail, but it says, get ready to cringe. His fingernails, he never cut them for seven years. And they look like bird talons, is the description the Bible says. And imagine just seeing his testimony video up here when you walk in. I love how this ends, okay? Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, King Neb, raised my eyes to heaven, and my sanity opposite of confusion, opposite of Babel, was restored to me. Then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. By the way, if his life at this moment was a stump, it went on to flourish again. And unlike Babylon, his dominion, God's dominion, is an eternal dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So King Neb is the poster boy for something that I want to call the secular gospel of Babylon. This is the promise of the world, right? For a lot of people, this is the hype of Austin, who are moving here right now because there is, there is magic over that horizon, and that promise, that brochure, if you come here, oh man, everything that you're looking for, you will find. That's why there's like a four to seven year lifespan of people who move here. Until I gotta go, I gotta find the next city. And then there's a lifespan for that. And before you know it, it's, I'll show you what I mean. So let's, let's look at this. You've got the Jesus gospel. You've got the secular gospel. These are gonna be very similar contours, just with a little bit different context, okay? So, so notice it. So the gospel of Jesus begins in Eden. We're gonna talk about this in four steps. The first, where the Bible all starts is, is Eden, okay? It's the only, the only two chapters of the Bible where everything is awesome. And our souls, your soul, sort of, of senses or hears echoes from Eden. That's how you know, shout out to the book in the lobby. That's how you know it's not supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to be this way. Romans 8 says creation. Um, the rocks are literally crying out in silence right now. In other words, we know why the wolf howls. And we know why the earth shakes and quakes. It's almost as if creation remembers what it was like back in Eden and is yearning, sometimes violently, to get back there. Now, in the same way, the secular gospel would call this your, your true self or your inner child. And to that, I would say, absolutely. It's, it's simply just different language. And this is, Mark Sayers would say, this is, you hear people say all the time, I just, I gotta go camping and, and, and kind of get back to my true self, right? Let me, let me go backpack around Europe and, and, and find myself, sort of get back to my inner child. And you know what? Absolutely. Once again, this is a human thing that all of us feel. We know deep down, somehow, it is, it is not supposed to be this way. There is a different version of me that is not this. I feel oppressed. I feel weighed down. It's supposed to be better. So my question is for you. It says who? And how do you know that? Because it's true. But how do you know that? Something is informing you. Call it Eden. Call it your true self. This is who I should be. This is the way it should be, right? So what happened? What happened is Genesis chapter 3 or the fall. We already talked about this a little bit, but you know, you, you know the narrative. The, the serpent tempts Eve and asks her a very 
a familiar and eerie question. Did God really say? I mean, oh, did he really? Because, I mean, he's about him. I'm about you. And, oh, I just, I just hate for you to miss out. I want you to pay attention, even in paradise, how easy it is to convince humans they're missing out. And they bought it, and so do we all the time. This is called the fall, when picture-perfect harmony and paradise is lost, and things are no longer the way they should be. So what is the fall parallel to you in the secular gospel? Great question. Trauma, trials, and anything tough. And so, yeah, you know, there was this true self, who you really were, and then that thing happened, right? For real, though. That, that trauma, that your parents' divorce or that, that abuse or that, that thing that wasn't even your fault. Like we all, we go through trauma. We all have our stories and it's sort of, man, there, there was a fall from my true self into, into something less than that, right? And then just the trials, like how, well, how about a pandemic to keep me from feeling like this is the way it should be and this is, this is my true self. Notice so many similarities. I would say right here is when these two roads kind of start to diverge because the secular gospel would also sell you anything tough, anything tough is robbing you from your true self and is a problem to flee from. From that job that you don't wanna do, working hard, Anything tough, that, that difficult conversation that you really should have with that friend, no, run from it, right? Those expectations placed on you, the commitment, long-term commitment, no, that is gonna bog down your true self. So at all costs, you get out of that, you escape that, you stay away from that, you flee from all, all authority, how about that? Authority, like anybody who's gonna tell you what to do, or do it this way from, from a coach or a, or a teacher or a, a pastor or a leader to God himself. All these are against you. This is weighing you down. This is oppressing who you really are. So at all costs, get out from beneath it because you need to rediscover and refine who you are. And as soon as you can sort of shake it all off, to quote Taylor Swift, just like how many Euro trips, right? <laughs> And I love Euro trips. Trauma and trials and anything tough. This is the fall in the Jesus gospel. And it leads to, in the Jesus gospel, sin. So this is the event, part two, and this is the result. And so I'll say it this way. Uh, sin is not your real identity. I believe that with all my heart. And I know that because in Genesis, you were made perfectly in the image of God chosen, like, like two chapters before we became sinful. So sin's not my identity, but it is my problem that I was born with that I can't solve. I can't solve it. I need something not within me, but outside of me to fix this problem, this chasm that stands between humanity and a holy God who can't, by definition, be around sin. This is, this is the problem that we can't fix. The secular gospel would basically define sin as it's unhappiness. And this is the problem. Your unhappiness is the problem, which means your happiness 
is the most important thing there is. The secular gospel that Babylon is marketing to you, much like the fire festival, is called unhappiness. So you need to find that, except we've dramatically redefined what happiness actually is. The real happiness I think we're really after has to do with serotonin in your brain that leads to this long-term contentment that can't really be robbed from you. The, the, the kind of happiness, the world, that Babylon, which by the way, Babylon needs you to need more. Always, which is why it has changed that narrative or that definition to pleasure. And pleasure's a great, like God came up with it. I'm just saying it's fleeting because it's based on endorphins and dopamine in your brain. And here's how it works. As soon as that glass is empty, you need another drink. And as soon as that orange pill bottle is empty, you need a refill. When that romantic high is gone, you need a new relationship with that new house or new car or jacket loses its luster. You need the next one. It is an infinite hamster wheel. Ethan and I were joking. I should have had a prop that was just a hamster in a wheel running right here for this entire circle. This is a treadmill that never, ever, ever ends. But you need to find it at all Cost. And let me just say this to you. Your desire to be happy and whole is, gr- is a good thing. My goodness, absolutely. And God is for that, by the way. That's where these things get so misunderstood. Like maybe you grew up in a church or in a home where you were taught God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be whole. As if those two things are not deeply, deeply intertwined with each other. Like maybe uh, Jesus' favorite song was, if you're happy and you know it, Repent! And obey. Why? Because I said so. I'm going to flex on you. You do it my way. Just because. I mean, we giggle. A lot of people think that, especially in Austin. Maybe that's why, like, you hate church or you think God just wants to, to take from you. Maybe that's why you think I can either be a Christian or be happy. No, God is more for your happiness than you are. I promise you way more for your happiness than Babylon is. But the correct definition of happiness, okay? Not that pleasure and dopamine hits aren't correct. God made that. He made that. I'm just saying that's not what he's aligning your life with, with holiness and the pursuit of him so that you just, you have that all the time. He's talking about this, this more, this long-term happiness based on the serotonin he put in your brain that makes you content, the kind of happiness or joy that isn't snatched away from you with a phone call or when your circumstance changes or when your drink runs out. That is what he has an interest in. And so the big difference, I guess, the secular gospel teaches finding yourself. And the Jesus gospel teaches dying to yourself. Which, crazy enough, is actually the real road to finding yourself. Lose your life for the sake of me and you will find everything you want and more. You know, it's crazy. We, uh, oftentimes, we try to solve the unhappiness problem in our lives with sin, right? I mean, I'll go, I'll go first. Yes. You know what's funny? Sin will take you further than you wanted to go, make you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and make you pay more than you wanted to pay. And ironically, what you pay with most is the happiness that you're trying to find. So salvation would be part four. We see the problem, here's the solution. 
salvation, the Jesus gospel would call it. This is the good news that we gather for every single Sunday, that we have an answer to this sin problem, to this infinite chasm between you and the holy God. It's been dealt with, you guys. Heaven forever, the new heavens and the new earth in paradise forever with God for eternity. But then even in the here and now, abundant life to the full. This is called salvation. And if sin is my way, salvation is simply just God's way. And that brings us to the parallel in the secular gospel, which essentially is the Babylon promise, which is the magic that people see in front of them, maybe driving here right now, right? This is rediscovering your true self. You gotta reclaim it, and it's so, it's so possible if you, if you just surrender to this current, right? We can fix this unhappiness problem. If you, can, if you can shake off anything that's gonna oppress you and any kind of authority, whether it's from a, a government or God himself and any kind of long-term commitment, if we, can, if we can run from that and escape anything that's tough because that is only a problem that is robbing, for, like if we, can just, if we can shake all this off, then you will re-arrive at your true self and look at all these influencers and YouTubers who are, who are heaven on earth. The only problem is I've met some of them and I've had dinners with some of them and they would tell you, oh my gosh, I am still looking. Whew. That's why I relate to King Nebuchadnezzar, man, I do. Um, it's like millennials when they arrived at the Bahamas. This is what, what, what's happening right now. And this is why I, I, I call this um, basically a, a public announcement. Um, the secular gospel is failing. And I say that with so much humility and not an us versus them spirit, but an us for them, a blessing Babylon kind of spirit that feels for it because I've been there. Um, what's happening, I think people are wising up. Much like those kids landed in the Bahamas and start looking around and these, uh, these VIP luxury villas are relief tents and the gourmet meals are cheese sandwiches and nobody they said would be there is here and whew, man, I picture people like moving here or moving anywhere or let me try that new thing. Let me, I got that brochure. Okay, let's try that because it's promising. The hype is huge. Um, and then you look around like, where, okay, who's found it? It's the greatest party that apparently is not happening. Um, so I, I moved to Boulder when I was 18 for college, my freshman year. And Boulder, very similar kind of city. And then you know like the lure of that and then the lure of, um, of college, man. Hey, this new chapter, this is, the best four years of your life. And, and uh, between you and me and everybody watching, um, it, was, like, it was, I loved college. But I started college and ended college a very different person. A lot of you know my story. I started following Jesus, and Ben, you can come up. I started following Jesus um, the end of my junior year in college. And the first few years, man, I, uh, that's why I guess I relate to King Neb because I just, I had everything going for me, man. Um, doing great in school, medical school was looking so promising. I had my future planned out, loved my friends, and 
a girlfriend, and we threw parties like three or four nights a week, and I was like, but it's working until it's not working, and what, what am I missing? It's a very hopeless kind of feeling when all you know is everything under the sun and nothing transcendent beyond it. We start looking around like, I'm in, I'm in one of the most beautiful places in the world. I got everything going for me right now, and yet I still, I'm, I'm coming up short, it seems. What am, I, what am I missing right now? And what I learned, and now I have language for it, and I can give it to you. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says, God has written eternity into the hearts of, of every human being. Every human being has this groove, this indentation, the size of forever written into your heart. And you feel that. I don't have to convince you that that's true. And so we will go from job to job and high to high and drink to drink and relationship to relationship and city to city trying desperately to fill this and arrive because, I mean, we'll say it's synonymous, filling that eternal groove is arriving, is the Babylon promise, is reclaiming. This is how it's supposed to feel and this is how it's supposed to be. And so here's the brochure, here's the hype, here's... The only problem is it's the size of forever. And no matter how good any of that stuff is, it's not the size of eternity. Which means, and I've said this, this will be the third time, it'll work until it doesn't. Which is why there's a, a timeline on people moving to cities right now and changing jobs and relationships right now. Like, man, nothing under the sun just seems to, to be what I'm completely looking for. So every time I, I officiate a wedding, I do a lot. We have a young church. I do a lot of weddings, and I love it. And I'll always say something along the lines of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, which is so simple but profound. We love each other because he first loved us. Now, in the, in the English language, follow me here, we only have one word for love, and it's love. But in the Bible... Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, there's all kinds of different words for love. And so we're looking at two different versions of love in that one simple verse. We love each other because he first loved us. The kind of love God loves us with is Greek, it's agape. It's a Greek word called agape. It is perfect, unconditional, flawless in every way kind of love. And that's how God feels about you right now. Regardless of if you've crushed this week or if you've just punted on following Jesus this week in every way. He is consistent when you're not. This is agape. It's crazy. You can't mess it up. You're not that good. Agape, unconditional love. So we receive that, and then we turn towards each other, and this is the kind of love called ahava. It's a Hebrew word that means a love of the will, and it's a human being's best attempt to love with agape, unconditional love. Now, we can't, only God can do this. But that verse essentially says, we receive this so we have something to give. In other words, we love each other because he first loved us. So I tell people that at their wedding ceremony because I go, ahava is not a love based on butterflies or emotions. We all love butterflies and emotions, absolutely. The, do the dopamine and God made that. But ahava is the love of a will. It's the kind of love that's based on a decision. It's the kind of love where you can stare into each other's eyes and you can say, I've seen the, the wedding, I've seen the honeymoon, I've seen the mountaintop, but I've also seen the valley and the storms. But this is not based on my feelings. It's based on a decision I am making. And so all my chips are in. There's no exit doors. I am yours for the rest of my life. I'm not going anywhere. 
And the only reason that's possible is because we first receive something eternal that takes care of that group that we are desperately trying to fill. Because so often people will get married hoping my future spouse is gonna do that. Rather than receiving something from heaven, maybe this person can give it to me. And when you do that, you will put a weight and a burden on that person that they will crumble beneath because they're not forever. They can't complete you. Jerry Maguire, a great movie, but that marriage is kind of doomed. If really I need you to complete me in every way. There's a reason every rom-com ends at the wedding. Because what happens when the butterflies fly away? You're gonna need more than feelings in that moment. And if you receive something that's already the size of forever and eternal, in other words, you already have a savior, that person doesn't need to be my savior. My savior has taken care of that sin problem and the eternal problem in my heart. And now I simply just get to walk through life hand in hand with great company as both of us point each other towards the one who can do what no person or car or new city or new job or new drink or new high will ever be able to do. Austin is so much better when you don't need it to fill you or complete you because you already have God to do that. You're so much more freed up to enjoy life and enjoy marriage and enjoy the blessings that he wants to lavish, his words, not mine, lavish out on you. Man, when you, this is salvation. This is what you can't do for you, what no person or place or thing or salary can do for you but what God has already done. So I figured that out and I learned the hard way, which comes with a season of hopelessness when you realize the Babylon promise, the secular gospel has failed me. And if you're a thinker, you just kind of project out into the future and all you see is just more hamster wheels and more cities and more treadmills. And you have a, I'll call it a, a beautiful letdown kind of moment everything under the sun just it lets me down in a beautiful way much like the prodigal son who came to himself after he tried everything there was to try and he ran home and his father was there scanning the horizons waiting for him to come back and then through the actual most epic party that has ever been thrown so when I say the secular gospel is failing say that with a lot of humility knowing the only reason that's good news is because once it fails and everybody sees it there's hope in something else that won't so think of it like the tides of the ocean right when it feels like especially in Austin like the, the secular gospel secularism if you will has been Babylon has been at high tide and rising and the way of Jesus has been at low tide. That's how it's felt that way. If you're, if you're sensitive to like the spiritual realm, it's just, man, it feels that way. But if you know how the ocean works, you know out there beyond the breakers and beyond the wave is a force that is brewing with 
power and power and power. And when this tide goes out, that one comes in. And all I'm trying to say is much like those millennials getting to the Bahamas and realizing this wasn't what it seems, that I believe over the next 10 or so years is going to start happening on a massive scale as people realize the secular gospel is failing because essentially there's no, there's no solution for the sin problem because I don't have that in me. And basically, this is promising the kingdom, but without the king. And you don't get the kingdom without the king. He is the salvation, and he is the eternity that you need for that. And that's going to come in, man. That means there's this space that's about to form where the church is going to be called to be the church unlike ever before in our lifetime. I really believe that. Christians are going to be called to, especially as we continue to get pushed to the margins, because it's not, it's not normal or cool to follow Jesus. And you feel that. You feel this low tide of the Jesus way that I'm talking about. When you go to Summer Moon on your way to church, and the barista says, where are you off to? And then you go, or the guy in the plane next to you asks me, what do you do for a living? This, this might go really bad if I tell you the truth. I've had it go really bad to say I, I'm going to church because I believe Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. He's saying that at summer moon, at low tide, something is shifting, I promise you. So I guess my message, my, my plea is let's go, church. Let's go. Let's go bless Babylon. How about that? Not an us versus them mentality. Us versus them is some tradition or narrative that masquerades as the Jesus way, but it's not the heart of God. Jeremiah 29 is a letter that Jeremiah the prophet wrote to Daniel and his friends in Babylon, everybody in exile. Go read it. And the letter basically says, unpack your suitcases and get comfy and make friends in Babylon and pray that they do well and bless them and help them prosper because the better Babylon does, the better you will do. And that's, gonna what's, that, that's what's gonna make you stand out and make them wonder what it is about you that you have. And so let's go and let's bless Babylon and let's unconditionally love our city full of so many amazing, amazing, amazing people. And if you were to say, well, where I work, my workplace is dark, my apartment complex is dark, my school is dark. My city is dark. I would say, good, that's why God put you there. So let's go. Like a light that he has placed in a dark space to be his agent of invitation. I don't know everything, but I'll, I'll try to answer your question. I'll invite you to church. I'll tell you, Jesus has changed my life. This is all I have to give, but it's more than enough. And when the time is right, the Holy Spirit will lead you. We are a city on a hill in a dark city shining brighter and brighter, welcoming more and more people home. So will you guys stand? I wanna pray a very bold prayer. Now I was thinking back, Ryan, about two years ago from the day, we prayed at our previous location, set up and tear down. We prayed a bold prayer. We said, God, we need a building. And then now we're here. So, I'm gonna do that because it seems like God loves bold prayers and bold prayers honor God. And I've heard it said that uh, barring a move of God, the church in the West is at an unstoppable decline. And I used to hear that and it used to scare me. Barring a move of God, that used to scare me until I realized we have a God who moves. 
So Jesus, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, we need you now more than ever. We believe you still move mountains and you still part seas and you still make a way and miracles are still real and that you're still good and that you love the people in our city. So would you raise us up to be blessers of Babylon, to be unconditional lovers, to live in such a way that that makes us stand out to have integrity and influence in a very seductive culture and current. God, would you strengthen all my brothers and sisters in this room beneath the sound of my voice right now, embolden them with courage, strengthen them with kindness to give and answers to give and a a sense of, of urgency and passion that Jesus, one day you're coming back So would we shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter? Because Jesus, I believe that you are gonna get beautiful, more and more beautiful to millions if not billions of people on our planet who never thought that you would, that this tide is brewing with an unstoppable force behind the breakers that is ready to move in, a move of God that's about to hit so many people who have no idea about the hope and the good news that is coming for them. So as we sing, as water evaporates and rises only to fall, would we sing and we worship and proclaim your goodness vertically, regardless of what you can do for us today, regardless of what we can get out of it. We just sing because you deserve it. And as our praise goes up, would you let heaven fall down on Austin, Texas. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.